0: common to mark a victory with some kind of symbol something that identifies a major achievement I've got one or two symbols to show you and I wonder if you can identify what activity uh, they represent as an achievement anyone know what that is? yes Okay, Wimbledon, the, the winner of the Men's Singles Championship at Wimbledon, right. Trish ought to know that. Yes, there you are. Ryder Cup associated with golf. There you are, yeah. This is a competition between the USA and Europe and is awarded to the winners. Yeah, it's the Nobel Medal awarded for a major achievement, mainly in the area of science, but somebody that has achieved something really amazing uh, in that area. Okay. Napoleon. Okay. Amy? Snooker Masters, yeah, that's the Masters Championship. It's a gathering together of all the key snooker players and awarded to them. Just a couple more, okay. Olympic gold medal, yeah, awarded again over uh, a whole range of sporting activities, but it means that you're the best. You, you really stand out amongst everybody in your achievement, and then finally, okay, the World Cup. And uh, that's something that we'll be uh, looking at a little later on at the Manor House, too, when that comes. But there's another well-known symbol which we perhaps don't immediately think of as a symbol of victory. And of course, I'm thinking of the cross when we look at the cross, we think perhaps first of all of the suffering, of the pain, of the shame that comes with dying on a cross. And yet, actually, it signifies that, in fact, a victory, which is, though we may not, and many people don't not realize, is the greatest victory that's ever been achieved, because it's a victory over evil. But how is it that we think of the cross as being a place of victory? Of course, it was a place of pain. We do well to remember that as we come together on Good Friday. We perhaps tend to focus on on the suffering of Christ. And that, of course, was a reality. It was indescribable suffering physically, mentally, spiritually, a suffering that we cannot comprehend. And it's right that we remember that and are grateful for it. But we also need to recognize that it was pain for a purpose. He didn't go there just as a criminal. He went there deliberately for a purpose. So it was that, in fact, Whereas Jesus was there suffering, we can confidently rejoice in the benefit and the victory which He achieved. And the two em- two areas which perhaps the Bible seems to emphasise in the victory of the cross, the reality of what actually took place there, which we need to realise and appreciate, and the result. What is it that has happened? as a result of that taking place firstly then the reality of the victory and there seem to be two particular things here what we read in our passage was the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work it's perhaps difficult for us to fully comprehend what's encompassed by those few words but that is an incredible statement that the work of evil was destroyed on the cross that actually happened literally it's loosing the force of or annulling the power of the devil and it's something we see Jesus working out throughout his ministry And you perhaps get a particular graphic illustration of this recorded in Mark. Um, Jesus had been teaching to a large crowd by the Sea of Galilee and then he says when the evening comes let's take a boat to the other side. I guess there was something that he, he wanted a rest because it says as they were going over he actually fell asleep in the boat. But when he got to the other side Uh, It was very far from a restful situation. Mark records for us, When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial claves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered amongst the burial caves and the hills, howling, cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to him and bowed low before him. With a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Mark records that Jesus in this mysterious way sent the spirits into a herd of pigs who went over the cliff. And of course the people around heard about the pigs and they went to see what was happening. This is what it records, that they found the man who had been possessed by a legion of devils, sitting there. Now that's a contrast. He was sitting. He'd previously been known to wander about, screaming and cutting himself. Now he was sitting. Sitting by the side of Jesus, apparently. What it says then, sitting, clothed, and in his right hand mind. Dressed and in his right mind. What an amazing transformation. Jesus had in fact restored this man to what he should be, to normality. He had previously been possessed by the power of evil. And Jesus had destroyed that power. He had annulled it. He'd wiped out the power that the devil had over this man. So that now he was sitting, dressed and in his right mind. No wonder the people were surprised. Earlier in the passage, which we read in verse 5 of 1 John 3, it says, You know he appeared so that he might take away our sins. He came to remove that which bound us and held us. Sin is what we do in our rebellion against God, brought about by the work of the devil and our subsequent bondage and addiction to sin. John shows that through Christ, cleansing from sin comes, and its power, the power of sin, has been broken. That's why John goes on in in the passage which we read, and says, right, those who now know God don't keep on sinning. They shouldn't be doing that because the power of sin has been broken. And how wonderful it is to see, and perhaps some of us have experienced it in our own lives, addictions, problems that persist within us, that we've wrestled with maybe for years. And then God has come in and has broken that power we've been released from it. He has power over the devil. He has broken the devil's power. The writer to the Hebrews says in 9 verse 26, He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. What a wonderful statement, to do away with sin, to actually get rid of it so that it's removed. That's why Paul can write in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul, writing to the Colossians, says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them in the cross. There, on the cross, which looks like this awful tragedy, is this wonderful victory? Overcoming evil and sin and Satan. Hebrews again writes Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And the writer identifies that perhaps the pinnacle of the devil's power is death. It comes as a consequence of sin. It's what God said would happen. If you sin, you'll die. If you distrust me, if you don't accept my word, as we have the record in Genesis 2, you will die. And so this is the second thing in the reality of what Has been achieved. Paul concludes his wonderful uh, chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, with these words When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Now he quotes from the prophet Isaiah Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul goes on to say, For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul concludes this because he said, This is what's going to happen. He said, because of the resurrection, that was the first fruits, he says. So we can join in that, be part of that, because God, through Christ, has overcome sin and death. Evidence that the devil's work has really been destroyed is a reversal of nothing less than death. Death was the ultimate effect of what the devil's work was about. It brought separation. It destroyed the relationship which God intended us to have. Paul writes in Romans, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. But then he goes on to say, just as by one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, the act of Christ dying on the cross, resulted in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous this glorious transformation that has been brought about by the defeat of the devil and defeat of death. If you are actually alive, uh, it would seem to be very difficult to deny the reality of evil. Some people seem to do that, apparently, but it must be very hard to actually uh, shut your mind to what is going on in the world around us. And whilst it is clear that there have been lots of improvements in life for many people, many people are outside of these improvements, but many people enjoy, I must admit, I do improve enjoy improvements in medicine. <laughs> I wouldn't actually be here apart from some of the improvements that have been made. We all appreciate that. Education uh, has, has helped many out of poverty and so on. But do we really see the world getting better? It seems every time one thinks that maybe we are getting better, something happens which demonstrates the fact that it actually isn't. It seems that mankind, humankind, is powerless to deal with the problem of evil. There are all kinds of Attempts made in various ways. And sometimes you hear, perhaps when some particular bad thing has happened, you hear people say, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he stop all this evil? Of course, the reality is that's just what he has done in the cross. We don't see everything at the moment removed from evil. But the reality is, that in the cross we find the final ending of the devil's activities. His defeat has been carried out. So what then is the real result of what has occurred? Again, there are so many things that we could look at. So we've been redeemed, we've been restored, sin has been atoned for, all kinds of things. But I'd suggest there are perhaps two key areas in which we see the results of what has happened. Firstly, in a restored relationship. Going back to Genesis, we see that humankind was created in God's image. Now surely that must imply that there was to be a close relationship between those who were created and the Creator. If you make someone like yourself... Surely you're going to want a close relationship with them. That's the whole point of it. And you get a lovely picture in Genesis 3.8. tells of the Lord God walking in the garden. That's a glorious picture. Those who have been out in the Middle East will recognize uh, the fact that at the end of a day of 40 or 50 degrees of heat, when the evening comes, people go out, it's amazing I used to go out to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia and you'd be driving down a, a major highway and there was the central reservation and you would see families camped out on the reservation watching the television and having a picnic and it was the cool of the day it's this lovely expression God came down to meet with his creation they're not there calls out where are you now we know I'm sure God knew <laughs> what had happened but don't you get a, a sense of, of God's anguish where are you I created you I wanted to relate to you you've gone but what we find now in the cross is the restoration of evident that right from the start there God was seeking to restore that relationship he chose out a people nation of Israel time and again he makes statements like this as he did in Leviticus 26 I will put my dwelling place among you, I will not abhor you, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people this is what God wants. He said, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I want to be your God. And I want you to be my people. Time and again, this desire is expressed. And indeed, that's the message that we find running right through the Old Testament and, of course, culminating in the New. And Paul writes to the Corinthians about being, warning them about getting caught up in pagan practices and worshipping with pagans. And he says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, and then he quotes now, from Leviticus again, he said, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And we had this wonderful expression at the beginning of what we read together just now Dear friends, we are now sorry, going back earlier, see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And says John, and that's what we are. We are now the children of God. Brought into that glorious relationship with him. Final fulfillment of all that that means hasn't yet been made evident. But we have the prospect of it given to us in Revelation. Revelation. When John writes, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, no longer any sea. I saw a new city, the the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. This wonderful restoration of what God always intended, that there would be a people who knew and acknowledged him as their God and whom he acknowledged as his children. And so there's this wonderful restored relationship. But there's another aspect of the result. It brings a renewed purpose. There's a saying, we should be very well aware not only of what we are saved from, but what we are saved to. We tend sometimes to perhaps emphasise the wonder of this salvation from sin and this forgiveness. And of course, that, that is wonderful. But again, we need to be careful that we don't forget the reason that that happened. It was that there would be a restored relationship, but also that there would be a renewed purpose As Jesus prays with his disciples, recorded in John 17, he says this, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And later on, after the resurrection, he appears to his disciples. And in John 20, we read, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father hath sent me, I am sending you. Oh, yes, says Jesus, that's fine. I'm glad you're seeing me. Of course, you should be glad about that. But let's be clear. Now I am going. And the ministry which I have had now is committed to you. The gift of new life which the followers of Jesus have now is there to model his ministry. say, well, what is that? Well, we have it summarized perhaps as Jesus quotes from the Old Testament and Luke. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And it's interesting that when Jesus sends out the disciples, he sends them out, he says, to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. It is sad that sometimes we seem to get get up into an argument as to what is the church about. And some say, well, it's about preaching the gospel. And others say, no, it's about healing the sick. And Jesus says, no, it's not. It's about both. It's about both things. It is about proclaiming the kingdom of God, which in fact is to result in a kingdom, in a life which is good, which is just, which is about healing those who are downtrodden, looking after the poor. That's what it's about. That's the challenge that the church is presented with, that we are to model the ministry of Jesus now. I, I remember, and perhaps some may feel this difficult, but I remember saying that I've been saved to worship God Well yes of course that's, that, that is certainly true As we've thought about it we come together to worship But is that the only thing I was saved for Because I always tend to feel That if that was the only thing I was saved for Why didn't God take me to heaven Because i much better Worship him there than I do here I have all sorts of distractions here and I don't worship as I should. So why am I left? I'm left because it's Jesus' purpose to leave me and you. As I was sent into the world, so I'm sending you to bring the message of the kingdom, to heal the sick, to bring justice, to care for the poor. This is the challenge but the great privilege also that we face. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Here is the challenge, the privilege that we face. Just a word as I close, because one can't really close without mentioning resurrection but so where does that fit in? Well, of course, the resurrection is this wonderful evidence that this victory we've been talking about is real. Here is the evidence. Christ, in his death, has defeated death, and so now he's alive. That's what he shares with us, his new life. And so it is that we go forward with confidence through the difficulties, the challenges which this life still continues to bring, and yet with confidence that the victory of the cross has achieved defeat of the devil's work and of death and opens up to us this new restored relationship and this renewed purpose which God calls us to.